Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 78, book of Psalms, chapter 78. We will be in verses 1 through 7. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and let you know, yes, we are probably going to run over a little bit today, but we get to blame Tim for that this evening. So he took more than his allotted two minutes. So Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. When you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from, our, from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were, they were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Let us pray. God, I just want to thank you for this day and for allowing us to be here today. Lord, I know that a lot of other people don't get to appreciate the privileges that we have in our everyday lives. We're just, we're so spoiled, Lord. We have everything that we could ever want, really. But there's so many people out there who just, who need you. And I pray that you would help them because, Lord, they're in a dark place. In your name I pray, amen. It is an absolute honor to be with you this morning for this homecoming service. To be completely honest with you, I never imagined I would preach a homecoming service here. Last year, or each year, we get together and we make a sermon calendar. We prepare for the following year. And last year, as we were doing that, Dennis and Ben made the comment that they wanted me to preach this year. And my response was, are you sure? I mean... Homecoming, that's a big deal. That's a service we usually go get a guest speaker. And they made the comment, they said that as far as they knew, that I was the only person who had ever been a member here, come to serve as a deacon, and then come on staff as a pastor. And of course, that was before we've now added Alan Young and Wayne Campbell to that list. But it's an honor to be here with you this morning. Pole Creek has a wonderfully rich history. Obviously, we haven't all been around for the entire history of Pole Creek, but we can see the evidences of the history of Pole Creek and see the prayerful and faithful work that went into this church from its past members to make it what it is today. 105 years, that is something to be proud of. That's worth rejoicing over. Think about what this church has been through and what this church has seen. And of course, I mean the people, not the actual church building itself. Established in 1916, as Ben mentioned earlier, Pole Creek has seen much trial and triumph, excitement and adversity. Less than 20 years after Pole Creek was established as a church, they went through the Great Depression. This church has seen world wars and death and sadness. This church has faced hardship. This church has seen a lot of happiness as well. Many marriages have taken place here. 
Much fellowship has been had here. Solid Bible study has taken place here. Thousands of people have stood here or across the street and made decisions for the Lord. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to visit several times with Jim and Irene Crabtree. And Jim was in the hospital, and he wasn't doing well. And Irene was right there beside him, and she was spoon-feeding him. I'll never forget how sweet it was to see a couple married over 60 years and her taking care of him in his last moments. That was just a, that was sweet. Irene had precious memories of Pole Creek. She was born and raised right up here on Milk Sit Cove. And she said as a little girl, she could remember her and Velma Justice walking to Pole Creek with the other kids. This is where they'd walk and meet up here. And she said she could remember going to the creek and actually getting water for the pastors to preach because we didn't have any indoor plumbing at that time. I thought that was pretty interesting. She said that while she wasn't born when the original pastors were here, that she knew and had gotten to see each one of those pastors, dating all the way back to our earliest, which I thought was incredible. She talked about how when they first added Sunday school rooms and how exciting it was to be able to go inside and study the Word of God. And, you know, I think about the change that members like Irene and Velma Justice and H.B. Rogers, so many have seen. What a rich history. A church that started as just a small little tiny country church for people back here in this cove that has blossomed into a church that now several hundred people attend and is known in the community. You know another great thing about this church? I often talk to people in the community, and they say, Pole Creek is just, it's just too big. It's just too large of a church. I, I could never fit in a church that big. And then they visit a place like this, and they, they see that while it is somewhat of a large church in terms of attendance, that it's still a welcoming church. It is still a close-knit, tight community church. I can remember uh, Dennis Thurman referring to our church as a country church on steroids. And I think he's exactly right. So much has changed about Pole Creek, and yet so much has remained the same. Church buildings change and they're updated. Expansion is conducted as it's needed. But Pole Creek still sits here and exists for the same reason that it did back in 1916 to see people saved and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing. As wonderful and great as all that reflection is, it is up, up to us to make sure that that continues. I talk to our students all the time about being in a constant state of self-evaluation. We need to be in a constant state of self-evaluation. What, what's working? What are we doing really well that we need to continue to do? What's not working? What do we need to get rid of entirely? What is working just okay? What's something that we need to tweak in order to make it work even better? Today, we are going to look at equipping the next generation. We are only ever one generation removed from a completely Christless society. It is up to us to further the kingdom of Christ by equipping this next generation. So before we dive in, I would like to ask everyone in this room who is 18 years of age or younger to please stand up. 18 years of age and younger. 
Now look around this room really quickly. There's a lot of people standing up in here. It is up to the rest of us to make sure that we equip them to be a generation that follows the Lord, lives for him, so that one day they can pass on this information to the next generation to live for Christ. You may have a seat. Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. Things we have heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget uh, God's works, but to keep his commandments. His commands, excuse me. Today, as we look at this scripture, we need to understand this was written by Asaph. Asaph was a uh, singer and musician during King David and King Solomon's time. And the objective of this psalm is to give a history of Israel's rebellion and God's grace. And I've got to tell you something. As I look around our landscape today, I can't think of another nation that's turned its back and rebelled on God quite like current-day America. For all of our blessings, for all that we have, for all that God has bestowed upon us, and we've turned our back on him as a nation. Now, there are many ways that we can equip the next generation. When I think about equipping this next generation, I think about reading scripture that we have or try to have students do every week, and I'm so thankful for that. I think about praying. We have students who lead us in prayer. I'm so thankful for that. Studying the word of God that we're doing right now, telling others about Christ, admitting wrongdoing, church activities, talking about the Lord when opportunities arrive, arise, forgiving others. There are so many different ways to do that. However, I believe one of the most important aspects as far as reaching the next generation is concerned is to love the next generation. That's our first point this morning, love the next generation. I want to be perfectly clear as we look into the topic of equipping the next generation that none of us are exempt from it. You may not have children or grandchildren. You may work from home and you don't come in contact with a ton of people on a weekly basis. But if you are a follower of Christ, you are not exempt from equipping the next generation, loving them, and telling them about Christ. I tell these students that I love them all the time. I tell them I love them all the time. And it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the truth. I work with them. I, I get to be involved in the schools with them. You just become a part of their life. I love them. I care about them. get to see what their interests are, what their likes and their dislikes are, participate in their activities. And it's such a blessing. But you know what else? There's another reason that I tell them I love them. And it's because for a lot of them, they aren't hearing it anywhere else. There's a lot of kids in society that aren't told they're loved. They're told they're a mistake. They're told they should have never had them. They're told they're failures. I actually had the opportunity to talk to a group of about 20 students a while back. And I asked them how often or if they were told 
they were loved at home. And I was honestly shocked by the ones that I heard. They said no. They said, I don't hear that at home. You know, this generation, Gen Z or iGen, and the generation before it, my generation, the millennials, we often hear a lot of stereotypes about them, don't we? They're lazy. They lack motivation. They're entitled. They don't want to work. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, societally as a whole, there's a lot of truth to that. But there are some that know how to work too. And you know what? Regardless of where they fit into that stereotype, it's up to us to love them. It's up to us to love them regardless. The idea in this passage is that grandparents are teaching their children, and then those parents are teaching their children. But we've already established that not everyone's being taught these things in their homes. Not everyone's being taught this type of love. It's up to us as a church to show them this type of love. I think about those who are hostile to the Christian faith. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who is hostile to the Christian faith? And the conversation is not really a productive one at all. You're both listening to each other for the sole purpose of trying to refute or come up with another reason as to why the other person's wrong. Have you ever left one of those conversations and taken a step back and said, did I love that person with a Christ-like love? I think about conversations that I've had where I didn't love them with a Christ-like love. It doesn't matter that we, don't that we don't agree. It doesn't matter that they're not a Christian. We have to love that individual. We're not going to win them to Christ without loving them. And often conversations like that, if there's no love involved, can, be, can end with further damage and animosity. God has called us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. This is the greatest command, and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. To love this next generation properly, we have to show them that not only we should love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, but how and why to do it. This falls into the relationship aspect of ministry. We cannot have effective ministry practices without building relationships. That being said, have you ever reached out to someone in another generation to mentor them and share life experience with them. This is so vital. More specifically, what men, what men have reached out there to help others? We have a responsibility to show why God is worthy of our love and praise and adoration. We have a responsibility to show others what qualifies him alone as good and honorable and perfect and blameless. His attributes, his qualities, his characteristics... Verse 2, I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. Men, this more specifically falls to us. Women, you are so important. You're so important. You are so important, in fact, that I don't know of a single person that's ever been born without a woman being present. <laughs> I mean, women are vital, but men, men, we fail in our responsibility so often. Look at fatherlessness in this country. Look at absentee men in this country, fathers that, that are just gone. You know, 
We have a responsibility, and women often have picked up the pieces where men have failed in church life. I've mentioned this before, but I genuinely believe the Baptist church as a whole would have failed if it weren't for women. Women picking up the pieces where men have failed in their roles as leaders. You know, we have a responsibility. Men, we are going to be a stronger church, a stronger community, a stronger society, and a stronger nation when we stop skirting our responsibility and we get involved. That's a true statement. Men who stand up and proclaim the praiseworthy attributes of God and love the next generation. As a church, we must tell the future generations about his might and his wondrous works he has performed as mentioned in verse 4. So here's the immediate context. The immediate context is what God has done in the life of the Israelites in this passage. However, we can do the same thing. We can share with future generations how God has worked in our lives. How has he shown himself in your life? How has he come through for you? I talked to a lady this past week who told me, she said, you know, she said, <coughs> excuse me, she said, I had a rough childhood. She said, I was uh, mentally and physically abused. She said it was, a, it was rough. And she said, for years and years, I questioned God on that. I said, you know, why did he allow me to come up in a household like that? Why did I have those issues? And she said, it wasn't until I got older that I realized the good that came from that and how I can help others through what they're going through. There are many types of ways we can love the next generation and be with them. Now, we are discussing loving the next generation. So I want to mention something J. Warner Wallace said in his book, So the Next Generation Will Know. For those of you who know who J. Warner Wallace was, he was a cold case homicide detective for over 30 years. Investigated murders, you know, that are 30 years old. And he was an atheist until he was in his mid-30s. But this is what he said in his book, and I want you to hear this. If we truly love the next generation, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure they know and embrace the truth. If we truly love this, ne- this generation, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure they know and embrace the truth. We talked about how to love others in order to equip the next generation. Now we're going to talk about leading by example. I'm getting ready to share a list with you. <clears throat> this is a list of requirements that must be met to be a part of our student ministry or to work in our student ministry. Listen to this. Have a good attitude. You must work hard must maintain a certain GPA, must abstain from drugs and alcohol, must devote time to study and prepare lessons on your own, must be willing to have weekly meetings, must come out of pocket for transportation. You must represent the church well. Oh, you know what? I've got the wrong list here. This is a list of requirements to play high school sports. We are always leading by example. But what example is it that we're setting Some people just heard that list and they thought, my goodness, that's ridiculous. Those are the the requirements to help out in student ministry here. And then they heard, oh, it's high school sports. We understand. You know, we have allowed society to condition us. And we've conditioned ourselves to a point 
where church takes a back seat to everything else. Everything else we do in life, <coughs> often church takes a back seat to it. Many people are finding any excuse they can to get out of coming to church. There's been a trend in the last 20 years or so that I've noticed that church is becoming less and less important in the life of believers. As you're probably aware, this virus has decimated that even further. I can remember growing up, and thank the Lord, we still have coaches like this in our area. I know we've got some in, in, in this church right now, so I'm not beating you up. I can remember a time where it was common practice to close pra practice on a day, and, a, and the coach come to you and, as a group and say, listen, I'm getting y'all out of here, and plenty of time to go home and get showers and be at church. That's where y'all need to be. You go home, you get ready, you be at church, and there you'd see your coach there as well. You know, in 1937... Gallup poll, y'all probably are familiar with the Gallup poll, they started keeping record of church attendance in America. In 1937, when they first started keeping record, church attendance was about 73%. 73% of Americans, American adults attended church. That number stayed around 70% for the next six decades. At the turn of the century, that number drastically declined and now sits at about 40% according to the poll. <clears throat> I don't know that it's that high, to be honest with you. Of church members who do attend church, only about 20% claim to attend. Thank you. I had one sitting right there. For those of you who don't know, I sang that song so much this week, I lost my voice. <laughs> and I didn't know if I was going to get it back. <clears throat> so, according to... Uh, of church members who attend church, only about 20% claim to attend church every week. 20%. According to all the statistics, the average church member attends closer to once a month. We are attending church once a month, and we wonder why we're not reaching the next generation. How does Gen Z currently view God in the church? I want to quote a few other statistics to you that you may find alarming. 33% believe gender is how a person feels and not their birth sex. 49% believe happiness is defined by financial success. Only 34% believe lying is morally wrong. Only 28% believe science and church teachings are complementary. 58% believe many religions can lead to eternal life. When I read passages like Psalm 78, I see how far we've drifted. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and set up a new law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. The testimony in Jacob and the law set up in Israel is directly referring to God's word. One of the greatest and mighty works that we have is God's written revelation to us. You know what? I think sometimes we take it for granted. We don't understand what a blessing this is. There's a tribe in Panama called the, the Cunha tribe. And they actually requested a translation of their Bible be made available in 1970. In 1970, it was almost 30 years before they had a full translation in their language. And you think, 
Why in the world did it take so long to get a full translation? Well, here's the reason. They don't have in their language words for in belonging for yours and mine. It's ours collectively. There's no yours and mine in terms of possession. It's ours. And you know, I think we could learn a lot from a a culture like that. A people so connected that they are passing the word of God down from generation to generation. But did you know what? We actually have another book available to us as well that declares God's praiseworthy and wondrous works. Do you know that? The book of creation. Walk around outside. Take a look. Even in a sin-sick, broken world that's dying, we can see God's wondrous and praiseworthy works. We can see that right now today at the beauty that we see outside. Deuteronomy chapter 6 discusses how the words of the Lord should be written on our heart so that we can repeat them to our children. We talk about them as we sit, as we rise up, when we lie down. This is significant so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. Here's the bottom line. How are we leading by example for the next generation? Each one of us is setting an example to our families and generations coming up behind us. But what does the example we are setting say? Does it say we love and value and cherish things of the Lord? Or is it saying that, you know, all that's fine and it's all good and it's all well as long as we don't have a ball game that's on that we want to watch or as long as we didn't have a really late night Saturday night? You know, I love this church and I'm not beating y'all up. I'm thankful to be a part of this church. I'm not attacking anyone personally. Collectively, societally, I am saying that based on God's word, we need to take a stand for things of the Lord more so than things of the world. The legacy you leave, moving on to the legacy you leave, beginning with the last part of verse 6 here, they were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Have you ever thought about the legacy you will leave behind? It is not overly apparent in these passages, but in Psalm 78, there appears to be five generations mentioned. Fathers, their children, the generation to come, their children, and their children. The idea is that they will not lose sight of the history throughout their generations. I want to be fully transparent with you this morning as we celebrate 105 years at Pole Creek. I am so, so thankful to be a part of this church. You know, I believe people look at student ministry and they think, oh, you know, he's just here until he can find a lead pastor role somewhere. I think that's the way a lot of people look at student ministry. Student ministry is just a stepping stone. Well, for me, it's not. I'm exactly where I want to be. I'm called to this role within this local body. And I love it. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for each one of these students sitting here and scattered about. Because we have a responsibility to love them and lead them by example. I think this church is very healthy, comparatively speaking, to churches around the country. However, there's always room for improvement. 
So what is it we can do to leave our legacy? How can we leave a legacy both individually and as a collective body of believers? We do not have to do something complex. We need to be involved in the lives of those in the next generation. Simply be involved. I don't know of a single church out there. I'll tell you this. I don't know of a single church anywhere, probably in the world, but certainly in America, that would, if you went to them and said, I'd like to be involved in children's ministry, they'd say, you know what? We can't take you right now. We are so overwhelmed with volunteers. We can't possibly take another one. But you know what? Next year, we might look at adding you on the list because we're just we're covered up right now. How about sharing your testimony with these students? I tell you what, you adults in here, y'all, I cherish y'all's life experience and the study and wisdom that you know. Anytime you want to share your testimony with our students, come on. I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about it and have you sit down. And the fact is, they need to hear it. They hear from me all the time. They need to hear from some other strong Christian men and women who can share their testimony, who can love on these students. We need that. What about writing letters? I realize that's kind of a dying thing this day and age. But you know what? There is something really special about getting a handwritten letter in the mail, isn't there? And reading that and opening it up, we could do that. Reaching this next generation doesn't take a miracle. It starts with us being willing to be involved in the lives of our next generation, to build relationships with them. And many will say, you know, I, I just don't think I can relate. I don't think I can relate to these, this younger generation. They've all got phones in their hand. You know, we didn't grow up like that. I just don't think I, I, don't think I can relate to them. You would be surprised. You'd be surprised that just being active and involved with them, just being present would lead to that relationship building. Just being present. But let's say this. Let's say you just genuinely, you cannot be involved in any way, shape, or form. Due to time constraints or due to your work schedule, you can't be involved. You can do the most important thing in the world. You can pray for this next generation. We can, you know, I think sometimes we have such a lackadaisical approach to prayer. And I'm guilty of it. We get into a habit of our prayers being the same mundane thing, repetitious, over and over. And there's no real heartfelt message behind it. But we can pray for this next generation. And I actually want to show you a video clip from the movie War Room right here that talks about that very thing. Take a look at this. You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again. You are good and you are mighty and you are merciful. And you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that 
hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise when under pressure, that will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees, who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle, that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. When's the last time you prayed like that? Let's recap some of what we have read this morning. Psalm 78 begins with, listen to my words. This isn't simply speaking of hearing. Some versions that you may have will say, incline your ear. This means it's important. It's an example of giving important, vital instruction. And we need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to apply it to our lives. Things which we have known, we are passing this instruction down because we have first heard it and we know it. I think about those members like Irene that I mentioned at the beginning of our service. That instruction and wisdom that those members possess, it didn't, they didn't just wake up with it one day. They didn't just roll out of the bed and all of a sudden just have it. It was passed down to them from generations before them. It's our job to pass it on to future generations. That's what this passage says. So that a future generation might know. Might know what? Might know that there is a God who loves them and desires a relationship with them. That they might know that they are valued and they have importance that they might know about mistakes from past generations and how to avoid making those same mistakes. I'm going to close with this. It has been said before that we are all ignorant just in different subjects. Let it never be said about Pole Creek that we were ignorant in leading the next generation to Christ. Let's love the next generation Let's lead them by example, and let's leave a lasting legacy. Let's pray.